0: the definition of words is important, right? Knowing the meaning of particular words are incredibly important. I have a child in the house who right now very often will say in kind of an exasperated form, I'm boring. Now what he means is, I'm sorry, what what that child means is, (laughs) is I'm bored, right? But knowing that definition or how they define it is, is crucial in that. In fact, uh, knowing how we define things also makes it important how we communicate. Just this morning, I had one of my children, couldn't find uh, 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 some clothing, comes in to ask, where is this clothing? And both her mother and I both asked the que- same question, did you look everywhere? And she goes, yes. I'm sorry, that child said yes, right? And, I said, and the, both of us also respond this way. Did you look in the laundry room? Well, no, <laughs> right? The definition of everywhere might be a little different from a, a child to a parent. How we define things is incredibly important. Now, my favorite illustration of this, perhaps of all time, is this. Right now, my two youngest are six and four, And uh, my youngest are referring to themselves as twins. And so this came up not very long ago, uh, referring to themselves as twins, and we are like, well, where did you hear that? Well, it's just, we're six and four. And that was it. That was the only explanation we got out of this. Right? So the definition of twins is now, well, we're brother and sister, we're six and four, that's it. That's all you need to know. Right, and so that's not my. That may not be how we define the word twins, but that's how they define it. And so how we define things and how we see that and how we uh, define those things are going to impact how we live out those things, right? If we define twins as being brother and sister, being six and four, then that's how what a twin is going to be, and we're going to live that particular definition out. Which brings us to the John chapter three. John chapter 3, one of the most fascinating passages of all of Scripture. In fact, John 3 and 4 really go hand in hand. But but for time's sake and for focus' sake, we're in John chapter 3. And I want to look at the story of Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. Because it's important for us to understand the definition, how we define certain things, because how we define those things, how we see those things, will ultimately push us into how we live out those definitions. And I think this is what we have here in John chapter 3. Here's the beginning of this chapter. Uh, John says this in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee. He was a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, let's stop there. Um, We'll get to the rest of the story, but we have to understand these first two verses to understand what comes next. This is part of us understanding the definition of of this particular interaction of Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. So let's first observe a a few things. First, Nicodemus comes at night. He's coming at night. Now, light and dark are an important sign or symbol in the Gospel of John. So John pointing out that Nicodemus comes in the night is not an accident. Did Nicodemus come at night? Yes, but John wants us to understand more than the physical or literal uh, uh, appearance of Nicodemus, that Nicodemus is someone who not only wants to approach Jesus, but he's someone who's approaching him from a different place, a place in life known as darkness. Secondly, Nicodemus refers to Jesus as a rabbi. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, John says. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So we learn pretty quick that Nicodemus is not only Jewish, but he's one who, who, who not only enforces the law, he probably is one who helps make the laws, uh, enforcing, enforcing God's laws. But more than that, he refers to Jesus as rabbi. And referring to him as rabbi shows that Nicodemus sees Jesus as more than just a guy who came in and did some good things in chapter 2. Jesus would not have been universally accepted, especially by Pharisees, especially by Sadducees, as a rabbi. Jesus did not become a rabbi in the typical, normal uh, route. And so Nicodemus, though, sees him, he respects him, and clearly acknowledges that Jesus is a rabbi of God, a teacher of God's Word. Which I think also shows this about Nicodemus. You read Mark, you read Matthew, and also in occasions in Luke, especially towards the end, Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, they want to trap Jesus See, the other Gospels have this notion, have this idea, they want you to understand that Jesus was in a lot of danger by these teachings. And so when Jesus would say certain things, when Jesus would do certain things, like on the Sabbath, those Pharisees and those Sadducees wanted to trap him. Not Nicodemus. There's no uh, ill will, there's no ill intent here for Nicodemus. He's not trying to trap him. He refers to him as rabbi clearly respectful, and wants to know the man that he has heard about and probably has witnessed since Jesus was in Jerusalem just a chapter earlier. Now, we also find out that Nicodemus, being a re- religious leader, later in John chapter 3, Jesus refers to him quite literally as the teacher of Israel, being very specific there, that, it, that Nicodemus may be one who is at the top of the religious order of Jerusalem. He may be the guy in charge of all of Jerusalem and the Jewish people and the Jewish people's faith or following of God's law. Now, in chapter 2, verse 23, uh, John says this: while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, that's Jesus, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Nicodemus, I think, is one of those who saw the signs and the miracles and listened to the teachings of Jesus and now approaches Him at the beginning of chapter 3 with respect and with, with a curiosity of coming into this. Another observation here, and I promise all this is going to come to head, but Nicodemus doesn't have a question. Notice, Nicodemus doesn't ask Jesus for anything. He has a statement. He wants to share what he has observed and what he believes about this rabbi named Jesus, and he noticed godly things have occurred in this man named Jesus. And so I think Nicodemus is showing a willingness for conversation. He wants to see what this is all about, not trap him, but notice all the things that have gone on he's witnessed and wonder what kind of rabbi, what kind of person can do this. Now, all those observations in these first two verses bring us to this, because I want us to understand uh, where Nicodemus is coming from, because each and every one of us come from different places every time we open the text. Every time we open the Word that John refers to in John chapter 1, every time you and I come to the Word, we come like Nicodemuses. We come to the Word with different backgrounds and different ideas and different observations and, yes, different curiosities. And we have to acknowledge that some of us, if not all of us, come here for similar reasons that we are all Nicodemuses. We're all approaching Jesus with some sort of curiosity, we're coming into this place with some kind of uncertainty. We're coming into this place exploring, searching, wanting to know what in the world this guy Jesus might be all about. And Nicodemus doesn't come in the dark of night to trap him, to accuse him. He doesn't come in the dark of night to come and bully him, to tell him he's wrong. He comes out of an innocent Exploration of who this man is. And you may be here this morning wanting to know out of curiosity. You may be seeking and searching. Maybe you may be here, you may be here this morning wanting something from this Jesus. You are a Nicodemus. And Nicodemus approaches in the dark, in the night. And I want you to know that if you're coming into this place in the night, in the darkness, if you're coming into this place because Jesus, well, I'm not too sure, I'm uncertain, but I have a curiosity and I'm here for whatever reason, I want you to know it's okay. Jesus accepts people in the dark and so should we. And in fact, I want you to know that this is a church that wants to take every person of every story, of every background, no matter where you have come from or what you have done, no matter the baggage that you may bring in, those doors right over there, no matter what kind of condition you find yourself in, if Jesus takes you, we will take you. And Nicodemus is a man... Who has high stature, he's well off, he knows who he is, he knows what he believes in, but he comes in with some kind of curiosity, and in that curiosity, he comes in the darkness, so to speak, to figure out who this Jesus is all about. And no matter where you find yourself, no matter where you may or how you may explain your relationship with Jesus, if you have one at all, guess what? If Jesus welcomes you, we welcome you. Because that's what Jesus does here. He takes this man in the middle of the night, probably because Nicodemus doesn't want to be seen by all. But more importantly, John wants to point out that he is a curious, searching and seeking man about this guy named Jesus. And so that leads us to this big question to which I want to ask, because I think this is where John 3, and this is all coming out of the first two verses, and I promise we'll pick up the pace here in just a second, but in these first two verses, it leads us to this big question. What is the meaning of my life? Because Jesus challenges our definitions. And I think Nicodemus now finds himself curious and wanting some kind of answers. He wants some kind of conversation with this Jesus. And he comes into this place, and I think his definition of life is being challenged. The things that he found important are now, he's not so sure if they're important. And so Nicodemus comes in with, I think, this big, broad question of what is the meaning of my life? Because Jesus has a knack for challenging our definitions and how we see things. And if Jesus isn't challenging you, if he's not pushing you, if he's not encouraging you to have a new definition for life, then you are not paying attention to Jesus. I asked Laura earlier in the week, I said, Laura, do you think I can talk about the meaning of life in a, in a 30-ish minute sermon on, a, on this upcoming Sunday? And she said, no, you cannot. I said, I'm going to do it anyways. Because I think, this is the, I think this is the heart of the matter, the issue, the point to which Nicodemus comes into the story, into the life of Jesus. He's curious, he's seeking, he doesn't quite know or necessarily have all the answers. He's just seen it, heard it, witnessed it, and now he wants to know what in the world is the meaning of life now. What is the meaning of my life? How do I define things now? Because Jesus has a knack for changing our definitions. See, when we ask the question, what is the meaning of my life? What we are essentially asking is, what is it? What is meant or what is intended to be in my life? We want purpose out of this. We want definition out of this. Each and every one of us, because we're all humans, we all come into some place into our lives wanting, desperately grasping for the purpose to which we are here. Each of us, In our honesty, we will answer, I want to know why God put me here. Why am I here? Is it to be something more, to do something more, to be a part of something more? What is that purpose? What am I intended to be? And so now Nicodemus, who once thought his life was defined by his obedience to the Old Testament laws of God, and more that, as he lived and worked into his career, he began to define life as being one who's on the Jewish ruling council. He began to define life as one who led the Jewish council. He was one who, who enforced the law. He was on top of the pyramid, if you will. And now he is questioning what is his life intended to be? Because he's seen and heard and witnessed Jesus. And so he comes in the dark. And I'm glad he came in the dark. I'm glad he approached Jesus at any time of day. But John wants us to know he comes out of curiosity. He doesn't come in an enlightenment. He comes with seeking. And he wants to know who this Jesus is. And so John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus responds to Nicodemus with this. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay, let's stop there. You're like, I promised I'll pick up the pace, but not yet, okay? Let's notice how Jesus responds to Nicodemus' statement. Because here's what I think is going on. Jesus is not responding to the statement, he's responding to the situation. Much like if one of my children, my younger children, are running through the house with scissors, yelling, I love scissors, I love scissors, I will take those scissors out of their hands, not responding to the statement they love scissors, but to the situation that they're running with scissors, right? And so Jesus isn't... He's not coming in with more compliments. This is what Nicodemus does. He starts with compliment. Jesus is not responding to that. He's responding to the situation that Nicodemus has come in the dark, in the night, to witness and be in the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus responds with this peculiar peculiar statement. He's curious. Now, the statement... Okay... Makes sense? Now the statement has something to do with life, has something to do with rebirth, and we'll see here in just a moment that Nicodemus is confused by it, but here Jesus says if you want to see the kingdom of God, which is if you want to see goodness, if you want to see respectfulness, if you want to see good works, if you want to see the Spirit of God here in this world, then you have to be born again. This is his statement. Now, I think this is going to be very crucial for the rest of this particular passage because that born again statement can get us all caught up into other weird things, tangled down roads that we don't need to be going down because here's what Jesus means. That word quite literally, anthonin means from above or from heaven. So when Jesus comes in responding to the situation, Jesus quite literally says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are from above. Now, that born-again statement, those words go together because it can quite literally mean being born again, or being born. And so Jesus is using two words, a physical one of birth, but also a spiritual one that comes from above. And Jesus is saying if you want to see the goodness of God, guess what? You're going to have to be someone who comes from above. Now here's another way of thinking about this. And this is my favorite one because this word ethonin has such deep layers of meaning here. This could also mean, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are from the... Beginning. Now we just heard that two chapters ago in John chapter 1. This is how John begins his whole gospel story. In the beginning was the Word, and we find out that the Word is Jesus. And what is John, or what is Jesus saying? That if you want to be someone who sees the godliness in this world, you must not only be from above, you must be someone who is from the beginning. How do you become someone from the beginning? Well, you pay attention to to the word and the word in of itself brings meaning or new definition to how we see things around us i hope this is making sense the statement shows that nicodemus can come Out of the darkness and into the light, but only through Jesus. Because now, through Jesus, He's from above. He's from the beginning. There's light here, and He is welcome to see God's way of of living through the beginning. Now, to answer the question, what is the meaning of life? Okay, We have to answer this question... We have to know, it's important, let me get my notes here, to answer this question, it's important to know where you are answering from, okay? It's important to know where you are answering from. Now we're going to keep reading here in just a second, but I want to stop and I want to make sure we understand we're on the same page here. I'm not going to answer what is the meaning of life for you. Because how you define your purpose and your intention in this life can only be answered by you because you and I may be answering that question from different places. See, Nicodemus comes into this scene. He comes into the presence of Jesus in from the dark, in the night, John says, quite literally, he comes into the presence of Jesus out of curiosity, and he seeks. He just wants to see this Jesus guy and what he, is, what he may be all about. And Jesus responds to the situation of Nicodemus' curiosity by letting him know that if you really want to see me, you're going to have to answer a question But more importantly, you're going to have to be somewhere new to answer this question. You're going to have to be from above or born again. You're going to have to be someone who comes from the beginning or born again. You see, Jesus is laying the groundwork for answering the question of how do I define my purpose or my life here? How do I define who I am in this place? By where we answer it. Because we may be answering it from the dark, we may be answering it below, we may be answering from above. You could be answering it from the beginning. You could be answering it any many or many different places, and our perspective of life is so dependent on where you answer the question. John chapter three, verse four. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. I mean, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So Nicodemus takes Jesus' statement quite literally, and now he's confused. How can you be born again, he says. Doesn't make any sense. I'm an adult. I'm a grown man. I cannot be born again from my mother's womb. This new idea and this new language is illogical. It doesn't make flesh, earthly sense. That statement and this question is grounded in, in a different kind of place. You see, we look at that word, ethonin, we look at Jesus' statement of being born again, and if we think of that from the darkness or from the earth or from the flesh, it doesn't make any sense. Jesus being asking adults to be born again is illogical and it's dumbfounded and it can't happen, but... But if we are people born again from the place above, from heaven and of itself, then our position and our ground and our stance changes. And Jesus' statement is not about a physical rebirth. It's about a spiritual rebirth. It's about a new life that comes only from the Word that was there in the very beginning. So Jesus continues. John 3, verse 5. So Jesus responds... Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So what is Jesus doing? He's clarifying what He meant back in verse 3. Okay, He now understands... Or He's now clarifying to where Nicodemus is coming from. See, you're defining life from this earth or from the position of this place. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I want you to know, not only can you see the kingdom of God, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless something spiritual happens. And that is water and spirit. Jesus is talking about baptism. Jesus is bringing up the notion that something happens in this baptism. Baptism. When one confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and that confession propels the person to go into a body of water and to literally be dounced, to, to kind of lean back, to be immersed into the water. And coming up out of the water. Now, you look at that physical act, and you look and you'll say, okay, what does it mean for me to get in the pool and come down and come back up? But, but, if you're one who's coming from a different position, from the, from the above place, or from the very beginning, you look at this act of confession propelling you into the water and dying to this place. Going into the water is more than physical. It's more than just a routine or a religious uh, way of going about things. It's us confessing a new position. And that position is death. And that position is life because out of death comes life everlasting in baptism. You see, we die in the water, but we're raised up in the water. And out of the water, now wet, we signify spiritually the Spirit is upon us. This is God's promise to each and every one of us that God will be with us. His Spirit will be amongst us and it will be over us in the watery grave to which we confess His Son's life in baptism it's not a simple act of it's not a simple religious act it's a movement a spiritual movement out of the darkness and this is jesus's this is jesus's pulling of nicodemus nicodemus you're here and i'm so glad you're here nicodemus you come into the dark but i want you in something more and i want you to see how life is lived not from this place but from the place above from the heavenly place, from the very beginning, the Word that's been there, the Word that I am, Jesus might say, is pulling you out of the darkness with water and baptism, with water in the Spirit. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now I won't spend much time, I won't spend any time here, but that same word Spirit and wind, same word. Jesus is now taking the physical, the darkness, and He's now taking the spiritual, the light, and He's taking spirit spirit and wind, and He's starting to put the physical together with the spiritual. That there is something significantly important about baptism. It is a physical thing that's illogical. You just go in the water and come up, but there is something important about its spiritual significance. Water and the Spirit are now coming together. Verse 9, Nicodemus says, How can this be? And you're Israel's teacher. You are the teacher of Israel is the quite literal translation there, verse 10. And you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe." How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the One who came from heaven. That's the Word. That's the Son of Man. Verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Let's wrap it up this way. As I often mention, I'm a visual person, and this is the visual that came to mind for me. Now, it seems clear to me that Jesus' interaction and conversation with Nicodemus is centered. It's fundamental to the conversation. It's centered around water and Spirit. Because water and Spirit bring the flesh and the Spirit together. The act of baptism is more than just a physical act. It is a spiritual act that will change your life. And so what this water and spirit does, if we take Nicodemus as the example, is the water and spirit will change the ground or the place to where Nicodemus is standing. And we know Nicodemus is coming in the night, in the darkness. And water and spirit will bring light to the darkness every time. And so it quite literally, the water and spirit now brings in this spiritual element to the physical that you are no longer coming in the night. You may physically, literally come in the night, but your spirit is no longer a part of the night. You are now a part of the day, the light that has come into this world, John chapter 1. But also more than that, water and spirit changes how you see things. It alters how you view the world and the people and the activities around you. See, this is why it's quite important to understand, I think, that Nicodemus comes to Jesus in those first two verses of John 3, the way he comes to Him. Because Nicodemus is curious. He wants to understand. He wants to come in and he wants to see that the things that he's heard about and witnessed through Jesus... Does this change how I've always defined life? And through water and through the Spirit of God, we now see that how we view the things around us, how we define life, is now altered through the water, through the Spirit. Water and Spirit will bring you out of darkness. Water and Spirit will give you a new vision. In water and Spirit, you will enter into something new. It will be in a new place with a new pair of glasses because the water and Spirit will find you and it will answer for you. It will give you purpose of what you were intended to be through the presence of God Himself. Which, and this is the end, I promise. Which leads everything up to John 3.16. You've heard of John 3.16. It's on bumper stickers all over the place. You'll find it on billboards on on 235. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, John 3.16 It's not a bumper sticker. It is a life calling of who you are and intended to be because God does not condemn you. God does not throw you away. God has not said, well, you're not worth it. God has come into this place and says bring your curiosity. Bring your your questions. Bring your statements. Come in through the darkness. I don't care who you are and where you've come from and what baggage you have. I want to be with you. Why? Why? Because the water and Spirit will change you. Because I've come to save you. And this is who the Word is. Wherever you've come from, and whatever your story is, whatever baggage you bring into this place, you are welcome. You are not condemned in this place. You are saved because God lives here.